We ain't all mixed up, but we know exactly what to do on this podcast. Welcome to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Sanfilippo, along with uh, Crossing Broad Phillies beat writer Bob Wankel. And Bob is, you know, we've been talking about it for four months since we started this podcast. And Bob keeps telling us that, you know, he has this side of him that is that is gets that gets really pissed off and frustrated and mad at baseball and at the Phillies. And then he comes on the podcast and he's, you know, very even tempered and, you know, he's got all his notes and his stats and he's well prepared. And he usually lets me be the one who gets cranky and, and old. Um, I have a feeling, just just a little just a little notion that tonight the roles are gonna be reversed because the Phillies had what had to be one of the worst offensive weeks in baseball. It, it, it's got to be in this season in ma- in the majors, uh, one of the worst offensive weeks in baseball. But really, that I've it, it, and I've been watching a lot of baseball that I've seen in a, from a Phillies team in a long, long time. Even as bad as they were last year, year before, whatever those bad seasons, their offense was never this putrid. And this past week in Arizona, and then even even worse in San Diego against three rookie pitchers, um, they were just dreadful. And I didn't bother Bob this weekend. I really didn't. I you know usually I, I I know that you know I'm getting mad. I'm getting frustrated. I'll send him a text message. I'll shoot over there and say, "Hey, Bob, check. The, what do you think of this? What do you think?" Of and and this week I just let it go. I let him let it alone because I wanted to let it come out on the podcast. So now. Without further ado, as my clock plays in the background, that's how you know where it's, it's late at night. It's 11 o'clock at night when we're recording this. Um, uh, as the clock plays in the background, I'm going to hand this off to Bob Wankel to talk about this fantastic Phillies offense from this past week. Bob, take it away. I don't even know what to do with that, man. I, uh, I, am, I am completely uh, exasperated at what we watched this past week. I know that it was only two and four. They didn't go 0 and six. They didn't get shut out six times. But um, I started digging. And, and as I watched the games over the last week, I, I was never really that angry as I watched. I just said, this isn't good. They're not very good. But then I started to dig around as I was preparing the notes for this show. And I started to get really pissed off. And I started to look at just how bad it really, truly is. And I I have to say, I've had more than 24 hours now to digest what happened in San Diego this past weekend. And I'm not overreacting when I say this, but we've spent multiple episodes over the last, I don't know, month and a half kind of talking about how the Phillies really aren't that good. And we say, man, this team's won five out of seven or five out of eight games. and, And we're probably being a little bit too harsh, a little bit too negative. And I have to say something. We were right. Uh, We were justified in being critical of this team. We understood its shortcomings. And while you could turn on the radio and listen to a variety of hosts piss positive about what they've watched so far through four months, the truth is starting to emerge, which is that this team is not good enough on the offensive side of things to reach the postseason. It has been a disaster. They scored 15 runs in six games on their little West Coast swing. They've scored only 25 runs in their last 11 road games. Uh, They are three and eight in those games. And what makes that worse is that four times their starting pitchers went uh, at least five innings 
and gave up two earned runs or less, and they went on to lose those games, which includes Aaron Nola's wasted effort two weeks ago in Boston in which he went eight innings and gave up one earned run, and then Jake Arrieta's start against the Diamondbacks last Monday night when he went eight shutout innings only for, to see his team lose. They also blew a, a five-inning, two-earned run effort from Vince Velasquez against Cincinnati a couple weeks back, and then they pissed away Zach Eflin's start, and we'll talk a little bit about Zach Eflin and what's going on with him later in the show uh, on Friday night in San Diego. Uh, for so long this season, the starting pitching hid the flaws and warts of this offense, and it's starting to catch up with them now. And the, the story was, even as they lost three out of four in Cincinnati, and they split New York back in July, and they lost two out of three at Miami before the All-Star break, it was like, well, you know, like they're still in first place, and they're hanging in there, and, and you can't be too critical of a first-place team. Well, what we're finding out now is that they missed a huge opportunity to gain meaningful separation between themselves and the more, oh, I'm sorry, and the, uh, the Braves and the Nationals. And because they missed out on that opportunity, they now sit a full game in second place uh, in the National League East as the Braves won both games of a doubleheader against the Marlins today. And now they get to deal with the Boston Red Sox, who've won nine out of 10 and are like, what, 46, 47 games above 500 at this point. So good luck with that. Uh, this team's in a lot of trouble, Anthony. Uh, and there's not a lot to good, feel good about. And uh, if, if you're looking for the, the bright side of things tonight, um, you probably you probably don't want to listen to this show because I'm going to lay out some some pretty pretty tough to swallow trends and some pretty uh, damning things that I was able to dig up uh, over the last couple days about this baseball team. It's and none of it's good. You know, I'm, I'm just sitting here with my feet up, <laughs> relaxing, you know, having a and, beverage. And you know what it is? If you follow me on Twitter, you're like, this guy's an actual insane person. Like he's crazy. Like he's, he's pissed about not executing a play in the sixth inning of a, a four, one game that they're, they're winning. You know, like I'm, I'm very difficult and I understand that. Um, I've tried to make a concerted effort on this show to stay even keel and, and really kind of just present facts and numbers and, and, you know, obviously integrate a little bit of opinion, but I try not to fly off the rails and I've, I've just about had it. I, I, I truly there. I, I think I've, I've reached the point of no return. And so, uh, I apologize in advance for sounding probably a, a little bit, um, uh, you know, I don't know, dramatic, or if, if, if it comes across as like, well, this guy's being way over the top, but I, I think this team's in a world of trouble, and uh, I, I don't see a clear solution. Like, I don't, I don't know how this gets better, and I think that that's the most concerning thing. Um, so let's talk about it. And I don't think we need to waste any time talking about one specific game uh, on this road no. trip because. As you pointed out yeah. earlier, they, they when we talked in, in preparing for this show, all of these games kind of look the same. Um, <laughs> they do. They were all excited. They played six games. It was. It might as well have been one. Yeah. It was one 59-inning game as far as I was concerned, at least for the <laughs> offense anyway. So I wrote a story uh, for the website uh, on Sunday night, and I said, I'm running out of ways to frame that the, the idea that this offense isn't good enough. And so I said, let me just throw this out at you. Um, Sean Newcomb, uh, pitcher for the Braves, left-handed pitcher, goes four innings on Sunday afternoon and gives up five runs and 12 hits. And Braves pitchers actually end up going on to give up 19 hits in the game, and they walk an additional four Milwaukee Brewers. So you, you look at how bad the pitching was in that game. The Braves won the game. And 
it, it kind of goes to show you what the Atlanta offense is all about. They're never out of it. They can string together multiple hits. They're not home run dependent, although they can mash. They can hit the long ball. But that team has a very versatile offense. And even when they don't get quality starting pitching, they're able to overcome it. Meanwhile, you put that up against what happened against the uh, the Padres on Sunday with Jake Arrieta, and he gives up a grand slam, which is terrible. Jake Arrieta should not be giving up a grand slam to Freddie Galvis under any circumstance. But it's only 5 nothing in the third inning, and you knew that that game was over. There was no chance that the Phillies were going to come back and win that game. There was no chance that they were even going to come back and make it interesting. You knew they weren't going to string together two runs in the fourth, a couple in the, the, the fifth or sixth and then score a few times late to come back and win that game. It was dead ass over. There was never a chance that they were going to win the game. And their starting pitching has been so good this year. They cannot overcome mediocre to ineffective performances by their starting staff. And you just see that they are so far behind the Braves' offense. And you can make the, the case that Atlanta's starting staff isn't as good as the Phillies, and so let's not get carried away here. But I, I think it's become very, very obvious that the Braves are so far superior from an offensive standpoint. And, and to me, the pitching isn't, isn't that far behind the Phillies to the point where you look at the last 40, 45 games of the season and think that the Phillies in any way, shape, or form have a meaningful advantage over the Braves. I mean, can you find one? Because that's what I keep coming back to. Where do the Phillies have the advantage over this Braves team? Maybe at the top of their rotation. But beyond that, it's it's hard to say. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and the thing of it is, when you really think about it, you know, if the Braves have a couple of, uh, you know, have a pitcher like Julio Tejeron, who normally is really solid and really good, having a bad year, right? I mean, so like, so you know, if he's even remotely close to what he normally does, then if you look at those numbers as starting staff, I bet you the the Braves are, are right there with the Phillies starting pitching wise. Um, the the and I know you have a ton of stats that we're going to get to that are as damning as they get. Right and and great research that you do, but there's one and I I know you saw it because I saw you retweet it that I got to give credit to uh, Corey Seidman over at NBC Sports when the Phillies <laughs> lost to the Padres on Sunday. It was the 40th time this season that the Phillies had been held to two runs or less by a starting pitcher who either entered with an ERA over four or was a rookie. That's as bad as it gets. It's That's almost become it's become predictable it at this point. You're like, well, That's I don't know. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's if, if unbelievable. If you want to know are the Phillies going to win, you say, well, is the opposing starting pitcher someone A that I know? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know him. All right, well, he's probably going to be pretty damn good. Uh, or B, uh, does he have a ERA over four? He does. Uh-oh, uh, they're in trouble. So, I mean... And then they're yeah, in trouble against Rick Porcello tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what I respect about Corey Seidman uh, on that, to that end is that I know that he combed through every individual box score to come up with that stat. Like, I've become yep. very good at utilizing baseball reference from a research standpoint and fan graphs from a research standpoint. There's no way to do that without clicking on each individual box score to comb through <laughs> that. And so, I mean, someone, I think, probably challenged him to, to figure it out, and he did. And, and to his credit, he illustrated something that uh, we, I think, have... have all clearly learn, which is that it doesn't matter who this team faces on, on any given night. The offense is, is so erratic and so inconsistent and almost nights so bad that it really doesn't matter who the opponent is. They can go out and they can beat a, a Zach Granke one night like they did last week. 
and, and then they can go out and lose to a guy making his major league debut or a, a kid that's been completely struggling. It, it just really, truly doesn't matter. And, and maybe if you're looking for one silver lining, because I don't have many of them, uh, they, they get Rick Porcello, a 14-game winner, to open up this Boston series tomorrow night. And then they have to deal with a slew of Mets arms that always give them trouble. You know, Noah Syndergaard, Jacob deGrom, all these guys that they seem to struggle with every time they face them. I mean, maybe maybe things start to break the other way and they beat some really good pitchers. They're going to also have to deal with Max Scherzer a couple times here in, in the coming weeks as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where they don't they don't hit generally good pitching. They, they don't hit poor pitching. It, it doesn't seem to matter. There is no uh, – they are not very selective when it comes to that. Okay, here's, here's what I want to do. Let's start to break it down. Let's look at these players individually. I know you got some great stuff there because I ultimately want to get to a question – that I'm going to ask you um, that relates to everything cumulatively, but but let's let's identify where some of the issues have been. All right, you want to start at the top? You want to start with our boy Cesar? Yeah, let's, let's just start go with Cesar this thing one by one. Yeah, I'm let's just let's crush go with them all. Yeah, let's go to the lineup. Go down the lineup. Here we go. Go ahead. Cesar. So I'm like I'm ready to kill Cesar Hernandez. I'm like this guy. <laughs> he just isn't doing it lately, and it's weird because I actually found something that I didn't expect to find. He's actually had a 370 on base percentage um, since June 1st, and he has a 404 on base percentage since August 1st. And that, to me, honestly, is is surprising and, and kind of astounding, frankly. I'm thinking to myself, he's just not been the same guy this season. And it is true that he's hitting almost 30 points lower than he did a year ago. But the one thing that really jumps out at me when you look at Cesar Hernandez and what's going on with him lately is that he only has nine extra base hits in 232 at-bats since June 1st. He's drawing a ton of walks. In fact, he's walked 15 more times this season in 117 games than he did all of last year in 128 games. So he's played 11 games less. He has 15 more walks, and that is saving his ass right now because when he puts the ball in play, he's not nearly as effective, and he certainly is not driving the ball with any authority, which is something that we started to see from him in 2017. And in that way, he has been disappointing, and that's been the knock on him. He has gotten on base a lot lately. It hasn't seemed to matter, and there's a reason for that because do you want to just go right down the list? <laughs> we can get to Reese Hoskins, who, uh, listen, I-, I like Reese Hoskins. He's clearly one of the better hitters in the National League, and there's a lot of reasons to feel very excited about him. You're talking about a guy that's basically hit 40 home runs over his first full 162 games. He's a difference maker in this lineup, but the problem with him is that he is so damn inconsistent. And dating back to last Saturday in that Marlins series, he's currently in the midst of a 1-for-27 slump. Uh, no extra base hits, one single. He's not walking at this point. Um, he's killed this lineup over the last week, and, and he's a big reason why the Phillies you know, didn't, didn't sneak away with three or four wins on that road trip. He killed them and, and really kind of offset the job that Cesar Hernandez has done lately of getting on base. Um, I, I don't know where you're at on Reese Hoskins. I, I still think he's going to hit 30-plus homers. I think his OPS ends up in the high 800s, but – He's been bad lately, and if you're going to talk all this shit about, you know, we're, we're underdogs, and you're counting us out, ESPN, for, for not putting us in the top seven or eight of your power rankings, and then you go out and you, you're one for 23 in your next five or six games, I mean, yo, man, like, it, it's time to yeah. do it. We're here now. It, it's go time. So where are you at? 
Yeah, I, so I'll address both these guys. So I'll, I'll start with Hoskins since you asked where am I on him. Um, I, I, I like, I'm like you. I think that he's going to be a really good player. He's going to be, he's going to be the captain. He's going to be the team leader. He's going to be the go-to guy uh, for this organization for many years to come. Um, and, that's a, and that's good because I think, I think he's the kind of guy you want in that position. I, you know, and I like the fact that he did you know, get, a little, get a little full of himself uh, it, with the whole thing with ESPN and loved putting it. it on Twitter. I, I agree. Yeah, I loved it. It was, it was good. I mean, it's, you, know, you want something like that out of a young team as opposed to sitting there and saying, well, well maybe we're not that good. Maybe, well, maybe they're right and we are the 11th best team. Who knows? Whatever. So I, I, so I kind of like the fact that he embraced that. But you're right. You can't you can't embrace it and go and put something out publicly and then completely, you know, shit the bed. I mean, you can't. I mean, you you gotta you gotta come out and, and play and and do a little bit of something. You don't have to. I'm not saying that he has to come out and be you know a superstar and carry the team on his shoulders over the next six games. Like you know, follow me, boys. I mean, it'd be great if he did that. But if he was just himself, just you know, his what the what his numbers have been all season long. Then that would have been that probably makes a difference in in you know one or two of these games and you know if sure. you come look I'll tell you what as bad as they were if they would have gone three and three on this trip are we as upset about where they're at right now probably no, not probably not it's just if really you go five hundred on the road you're probably games, okay with it you know, right you, yeah I mean it, it, the thing is with me and, and don't get me wrong here we're talking about one week of baseball with with Reese Hoskins I just we're we're there. We're at the point where it's it's time to go now. And maybe maybe he turns it on this week uh, against the Red Sox and Mets, and we all we all say, well, okay, that was just a, a little blip. And, and to be honest with you, his track record kind of indicates that that is in fact what probably will happen. He he goes ice cold and then he gets red hot. And, and to me, if I were a betting man, I would I would probably guess that he will heat back up in a hurry. But you have to eliminate these stretches of, of five, six games consecutively where you do nothing. And he has to, to get over that hump. And again, you're talking about a player who really just completed his first full season. And, and that's a place where he can grow. That's something I need to see out of him. And, and maybe he has a big August here, the second half of August, and a big September. And, and this is really just... Uh, something that we kind of all look back on and say, remember, remember when he had that one really bad week on that West Coast swing? But I was a little bit discouraged by that. I, I actually I loved that he came out and said, you know, remember what happened last time there were underdogs in Philly? And I thought to myself, like this guy is going to go to ass kicking mode right now. Like I thought he was going to do it, and, and in fact, he's done the complete opposite. So, yeah. you know, it's just one of those things. It's, it's probably the, the narrative aspect of it annoys me more than really the the actual production over five or six games. But it, it is time for him to get going. And really, the, the issue for this team and what you saw, I guess, on the West Coast was not only does he go one for 21 on the road trip with no extra base hits, pair that with Carlos Santana, who we could block out a, a 10 to 15 minute segment every week to talk about. Santana went three for 22 on the road trip with one extra base hit. You're not going to win many many games when your two and four hitters combine to go four for 23 with one double. It's just not going to get it done. Um, do, do you have anything? Because I almost feel like I need to take a breath before I go on the, my, my Carlos Santana rampage because I have a lot to say about it. Okay, well, I, well, that's fine. We'll get, to, we'll get to Carlos in a sec. Uh, flashing back to Cesar real quick. Um, you know, you mentioned that his, his on-base percentage is, is what it is, and it's, it's, in all honesty, it's the best of his career. Believe it or not, um, and yet he 
has his lowest batting average uh, in his four full seasons as, a, as an everyday player. Uh, his OPS is the second lowest it's been. Um, he led the league in triples two years ago, and this year he has two. Last year he had 26 doubles. He's got 14 right now. He's not going to come close. He's not going to come close. So that's the thing. you know. And he had 100 and f- last two years, hits, 161, 150. This year he's got 115. He's not going to touch those numbers. He's not going to come close to those numbers. He's going to be 30 hits you know, shy probably or 25 to 30 hits shy of what he's been doing. That's, that's a problem, and, and that's what it is. Okay, yeah, he's got a career high in home runs with 10. Big, big whoop. Okay, we're not looking at Carlos Hernandez. I mean, Hernandez, uh, Cesar Hernandez to be a home run guy. Uh, we're looking for Cesar Hernandez to get on base and be productive and, and get hits. I mean, he's walking, yes. There's nothing wrong with walks. I'm not anti-walk, but I am pro-hit, <laughs> and, yeah. and he's not hitting. So there's that. And, and before you get into your Santana rant, I, I want to say this. Um, I was a guy who defended Carlos Santana in April, in May, in June, into July. I, I really did. Up until the All-Star break, I really kind of defended him. said, listen, the guy's a second-half hitter. He's going to turn it around. He's actually been more productive than you think, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I was defending Carlos Santana. I, can't I think anymore. you've been very fair with Carlos Santana this yeah. season. Yeah. I, I, I can't anymore. I just can't. I can't defend what he's done this year any longer. He's not a cleanup hitter, and he's been batting in a cleanup spot. He's not hitting. He's not producing. Yeah, he walks. Again, walks are good. They are not. you got to do more than walk. And he's, he's another guy like Hernandez who just walks and doesn't do enough of the other things. To, to make a team, make a lineup strong. And, and so ultimately, I mean, you're already saying, well, when Ramos comes back, when Ramos comes back, Ramos will hit four. Well, where are you putting Santana? What what good is he going to do at the bottom of the lineup? Really? I mean, I, I don't know. I, is he going to hit six, five, six, seven? Where is he batting? I, I mean, may, maybe there's some thought of, of moving him into the two. Uh, maybe you move Santana down to six. I, I could see that. I mean, I think that those are the two obvious destinations for him at this point. Six. Um, really? Yeah. And, and yeah. Then, but, what the, but what good do the walks do you at six when you have guys batting behind you that aren't really that productive? I, I don't know. Like, I, don't, I don't see it. I just, I, again, these guys better, better figure out a way to turn the damn thing on over the next two weeks. Otherwise, we, we could be in complete Eagles mode. Yeah, and as September much as I 1st. wanted to get on Cesar Hernandez, I go, well, he is getting on base uh, 370 clips. So that is his job as a leadoff hitter. By the traditional the traditional definition of a leadoff man, he, he needs to get on base. And he's, he's, yeah. he's doing that. So I, I don't want to be overly critical f- of him. But to that end, you can use that and, and kind of use that same argument against Carlos Santana. It's great that he's on pace for 91 walks or, or whatever it is. But I look at him and I say, this is your primary cleanup hitter. He has a 747 OPS this season, which is a career worst. And he has seven extra base hits. I mean, Reddy, I'm going to actually stop and, and start this one over. Seven extra base hits in his last 130 at-bats since July 1st. I think about that. Of 25 qualified first basemen, he is 20th in slugging percentage. There are five players who have at least seven extra base hits since last Sunday. I mean, think about that. Dating back to July 1st, Carlos Santana has as many extra base hits as five guys do in the last seven days. 
So, I mean, that, that kind of lets you know of the, the complete lack of production when he puts the ball in play. And as a, a, a guy that needs to generate runs, it shows you if Reese Hoskins is a decent on-base percentage guy, and Nick Williams has actually been one of the few guys on this team that has hit, and Cesar Hernandez lately has been getting on base, and yet they're not generating runs, to me, Carlos Santana is one of the primary reasons that's not happening. And we've talked about this on the show before. Carlos Santana has been a very divisive player. It's like, well, I, I piss positive on my podcast or my radio show because I think that everything the Phillies do is great and I'm afraid to be critical and this is going to be my thing. And, and there are a handful of guys in the Philadelphia market that do this. It's like their shtick. And so what they've done is they've gone to complete extremes now to take this stance on Carlos Santana, that everything is great and that you don't really understand the true value and his true essence and greatness if, if you don't get the walk thing. I get the walk thing, and I'm willing to acknowledge that he's very good at drawing those walks. But really, if you look at the numbers, the walks have stopped lately. And I lamented this a couple weeks ago. I said, I wonder at what point pitchers stopped messing around with him and saying, he can't hurt us. He hasn't hurt anybody all year, very rarely, except for like a one-month stretch. He hasn't done damage. So screw it. Let's go right after him. And you're starting to see now the walks are dropping in the recent weeks. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And the other is just, quite frankly... He just hasn't been that good. And I think if people were being honest with themselves, and I'm not trying to kill him. I don't think he's a bad baseball player. But I think if these people that had taken the stance about the greatness of Carlos Santana were truly being honest, and they weren't just trying to make a point and not just trying to be right at this point, they would admit that this isn't good enough. It's nowhere close to being good enough. And he really is one of the big reasons why this offense is where it's at right now. Uh, and, and so it's got to get better. I don't know if it does. And, you know, the Phillies obviously go out and acquire Justin Bohr from the Marlins on Friday afternoon. Just something to think about. He can't hit lefties. There's no use in playing him against left-handers. But I do wonder, um, I know that the whole thing is like, he's going to be the Matt Stairs. He's going to be the 2018 Matt Stairs. Like, no, he's not, first of all. Second of all, is there is there any wisdom in perhaps playing him two or three times a week against right-handed pitching because the guy does have an 835 OPS. He does have 17 home runs against uh, righties this season. And so let me ask you that. Do you use Justin Bohr more than just a, uh, as a pinch hitter? No. No, I, I don't play him ahead of Santana. That I really don't. Um, and this is Santana, and I'm telling you, I've, I'm, I've, I'm disappointed in Santana. Uh, and where he's at, but like, I, like I look, and you're right about the walks being down. He's only walked 14 times since the All Star break, um, so that's 22 games. Which it, you say, well, that's not terrible, and it's not. It's still okay, but it's less. It's less than what he was doing before. I mean, he's walked 88 times in 117 games, so 14 in the last 22. So that's so you're seeing the difference, right? So um it was it was so if you do if we're doing some quick math that was 74 walks in the first 96 games and then 14 in the last 22 that's a the pace is off so he's not walking as much yeah i think i misspoke earlier i think i said he's on pace for 91 walks or something like that. i mean he's he's on pace for well over 100 walks but in recent yeah. in recent but weeks here's the, so the here's, here's the thing down. yeah here's the thing um so since the all-star break he's hitting 241 which which is amazing to me because 
his average better. is 215, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. like, I, I thought, I, I literally just, I'm sitting here as I'm pulling it up, and I'm like, boy, you know, his, his average has to be down around 205, 210. And it's, it's 241. It's mm-hmm. actually better than I thought. But again, it's another thing, another guy who's not hitting, you know, not doing what a cleanup hitter is supposed to do, which is drive the ball. He's got six extra base hits since the All-Star break. You said seven. I think it's just six. Two doubles, a triple, and three homers. Yeah, I'm going to back to. Uh, I think I'm going back to July first on that. Oh, is yeah. that okay? Okay, that yeah. explains. Okay, all right, yeah. yeah, all right. So that's why it's seven. All right. So yeah, so six six extra base hits since the All Star break. It's not enough, man. It's just not enough. That said, I don't think Justin Bohr offers you anything more in the way. Of, like at least to me, Santana, you know, still getting on, still getting on base, still. You know, has that ability, and you hope somebody else can, can see. This is the the problem with the problem with Boer being a first baseman is is that he would be perfect to plug in behind Santana, right? I mean, it, if if you could play Santana somewhere else, and I know Santana's played the outfield before, but really, come on, are you taking Nick Williams out or are you taking Hoskins out? They're oh, the only no, two no, places no, Santana no, can play, no. and he's not good defensively. So you're not, you're, so you can't do that. So I mean, it's, it, you have to ju- you have to sit there and say where does Justin Bohr justifiably be better than these any of these three guys? And I'm not convinced that there is anyone on a, on a regular or even semi regular basis. Might you see Santana get a little bit more of a rest, maybe a game here and there, whereas he hasn't really had a rest all year. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. Um, you want to throw Bohr out there against a, a you know against a right hander and give Santana the game off? Okay, fine. But I don't think it should become a regular thing because, the, again, if you look at Justin Bohr's stats, they're not nearly that exciting. <laughs> they're not. I mean, yeah, he hits home runs, but he's he's another guy who's you know who doesn't. It's home run or nothing. So I'm not I'm not on board with this. And this is what I've been saying, not just me. You've been you know we've been talking about this on this podcast for weeks. Like it. I want to ask a question, but I know you have more guys you want to get to. So I'm going to still I'm hold there. off on my. Yeah, hold on. I'm still I'm going to hold there. off on the yeah. question, but it's it's coming. It's coming because it all it's all encompassing. So go ahead, continue. Let's work your way down the lineup. I know you skipped Nick Williams. Nick Williams has been okay. I have so nothing now, to say uh, about Nick Williams or Mike Alfranco. They've both been uh, right. They've both been fantastic. Actually, they've, they've yeah. far exceeded expectations. All right, let's so, talk talk about his Drupal. How's his Drupal doing? <laughs> let's talk about his Drupal Cabrera. Uh, yeah, so. I think that the the conventional wisdom regarding him is that well he's been a, a delightful upgrade uh, in place of Scott Kingery. He's hitting 235 with a 291 on base percentage as a Philly uh, and over 50 at bats. The best part about Asdrubal Cabrera is that he's not Scott Kingery. That is the redeeming quality about him at this point. Uh, he has not really hit for average. He does not get on base. He has had a couple timely hits for this team, and and that's good. Um, and certainly his OPS, which is just a tick over 700, is significantly better uh, than Scott Kingery's. That has really been the upgrade, um, it, just because it, it, it had to be an upgrade. It's, it's not because he's really played all that well. So th- that's the one thing I want to say about uh, Asdrubal Cabrera. The other thing is that Scott Kingery doesn't have a hit since Asdrubal Cabrera has been acquired. He's over his last 21 with eight strikeouts. Um, so while Cabrera has not lit the world on fire since becoming a Philly, he certainly has been better than Kingery on an everyday basis. And I know that we talked about 
Zach Eflin uh, momentarily at the beginning of the podcast, and we're talking about Kingery now. Uh, I definitely want to get back to that roster situation uh, with those two players uh, in a few minutes. Uh, before we do that, let's talk about Oduble Herrera. Uh, who has been a train wreck uh, lately. He's hitting 161 in August. Uh, he only has one walk this month and one extra base hit in 32 plate appearances. Uh, he's basically been uh, a slightly better than 200 hitter now uh, over the last two months of the season. Uh, this was a guy that was hitting 360 at one point in May and was an early season MVP candidate. Uh, I like Oduble Herrera. Um, I do believe that he has another hot stretch in him somewhere this season. But again, I, I don't know that you can hitch your wagon to players that just shut down for three, four weeks at a time. And Oduble Herrera now over the last two or three seasons is, is kind of proving that he's that type of player. And I, I just I don't know. I'm starting to maybe reevaluate my stance on him a little bit. And I wonder if Gabe Kapler is as well, because we, we've been seeing a lot of Roman Quinn lately. Um as a defensive replacement late in games, not just for Reese Hoskins, but for Herrera uh, in situations that don't really require a double switch either, where it doesn't, it's not necessarily an in, in offensive lineup based um, move by Kapler. And so he has also gotten a handful of starts over the last eight or nine days. I believe he started three games. So I, I, I just, I don't know, man. I, I got to say, like, I'm very disappointed in what Oduble Herrera has done uh, for the bulk of this season now, and it, it has certainly reached a level now where it's a concern for me. Keep going, because I, I, Oduble's going to be the the poster child for the question I want to ask you. But keep okay. going. Let, let, go go to the catchers. How's how's uh, how's Alfaro Nap combination doing? How how are those boys doing? All right, so. Um... Over the uh, last 30 days. And, and Andrew Knapp did catch fire for like three weeks. And Alfaro's had his moments, uh, both defensively and, and offensively. Uh, but it's, it's actually, I think, far worse than, than what people think. And it honestly is one of the primary reasons that this offense has struggled so greatly. And yet they don't often catch criticism. Over the last 30 days, uh, Alfaro and Knapp are hitting a combined 208. Uh, with a 594 OPS and a 281 slugging percentage. These are all easily in the bottom third of Major League Baseball. And not only that, uh, they've struck out 40 times in 112 plate appearances over the last 30 days, which is a 35.7% K rate, which is the worst in Major League Baseball. Uh, they have been terrible. And, and to boot, they are not good defensive catchers. Uh, I know that Jorge Alfaro has the big arm. And he made a, a hell of a play on Saturday night uh, coming out from behind the plate and gunning down a guy at first. And he has a lot of flash. But you watch the Phillies day in, day out, and you realize how poor these guys are behind the plate. Um, and so the catching position has just been an absolute killer to this lineup uh, really for the second half of July and into August. So I don't know what your question is, but that if you're wondering why the Phillies aren't scoring runs, I, I think I have just made a, a thorough case as to why it has been difficult for this team on most nights to put together a collective functional offensive output. Yeah. And not to mention, by the way, just for additional defensive stat, uh, didn't the Padres go six for six stealing bases again? Against the yeah. Phillies, so yeah, and a back. lot of that had to do with Jake Arrieta, in my opinion. But you know, we don't like to criticize the starting pitchers on this show, so we uh, won't. craziness, craziness. Okay, so let me use Oduble to, to lead into my question. Oduble last year had forty-two doubles, forty-two. 
Okay? Really good year. That's a really nice number. So far this year, he's got 16. Okay? Oof. But, I know, he's not, he's not even going to get half of what he had last year. But he has 19 home runs, which is a career high already. Okay? Already a career high. So my question to you, Bob, after you go through all these stats and you look at everybody and, and you figure out you know, what, where the deficiencies are, and yes, they, they're walking, and yes, they're hitting home runs, but we say they're not hitting singles, they're not hitting doubles. Is the, is the problem, is the real problem here with the Phillies the philosophy that, has be, that is being employed by the organization? This is not a Gabe Kapler problem. This is not a hitting coach problem. This is not necessarily specifically a Matt Klentak issue, but it's a total team philosophy and approach that they insist that this is going to, how you're going to better score runs and win baseball games, and it's failing. Is that, is that maybe the bigger issue here than anything individual? It's interesting as you uh... – as you bring this up, I, I didn't look this up prior to the show, but as you were talking, I knew where you were going with this. I decided to, to look up team doubles this season. Um, the Phillies have 172 doubles as a team, which is 29th in baseball behind or in front of only the Marlins, uh, who are dead last. The uh, team that they're playing tomorrow night, the Boston Red Sox, have 267 doubles this season. That's 95 more doubles than the Phillies. So um, that's a, a pretty astute and certainly an accurate observation by you. I don't know uh, if, if this boils down to organizational philosophy. Certainly the, the walks have been the thing that we have focused on and talked about the most. They're actually tied for second in Major League Baseball walks this season. Um, with the Cubs, and, and they're behind only the Dodgers. So certainly the, the on-base stuff has been good. The power numbers up and down the lineup have, from a home run standpoint, not been terrible. You know, it's, it's, they've been functional in terms of knocking the ball out of the park. They're actually 16th in baseball, so they sit right in the middle of the pack that way. Um, but the lack of doubles, they, they don't drive the ball consistently into the gap, and I think that that has something to do, really, with their inability to consistently put pressure on defenses. Um, they really truly are a feast or famine team. And, and even when they draw those walks like they do at such a high rate, you just never really feel like you're in trouble against this offense. Like, yeah, they'll bang you for a big inning here and there, and it, it does happen. But they don't consistently generate pressure against opposing staffs, which is really weird to say considering the amount of pitches that they see. I mean, they do drive up starters' pitch counts, Frequently, by the fourth, fifth inning, they're at 80, 90, 100 pitches, and, and it happens often. But yet, I, I don't feel that pitchers truly strain against this lineup. And, and I don't know if the lack of doubles is, is just a, a weird or bizarre coincidence or if it really does have something to do with their philosophy as an organization. But it hasn't been there this year, and I think it's a big element of this offense that's missing. Uh, okay, I, 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 I'm going to just add this in, okay? And you, you pointed out their, their doubles, they rank 29th in baseball. I, I believe they rank second to last in total hits as well. I could be wrong on that, but I know they're right near the bottom. I know they're nine twenty. I think they have 925 hits this year. Um, I think it's second worst in the National it, League, and it, it might is. be second it's, worst um, in baseball. It's the second worst in baseball. Uh, yeah. They're ahead of only the Mets, who have 878 oh. hits. 
So, okay. Yeah. So so that's that's a problem. And, and and so to me, like you can sit there and try and sell me this philosophy all you want that we want. And this is what we heard from Clentac for two years now, three years now. That we want players who can who control the strike zone. That's his. That has been his his keywords, right? Batters who can control the strike zone. Well, to me, if you control control a strike zone, that means you're putting yourself in good hitters counts and then hit the ball in those good hitters counts. If you're second to last in baseball in hits, you're not controlling the strike zone. You might be good at taking walks, but you're not controlling the strike zone. Because you're not hitting, okay, and and that's the that is the fundamental basic of this of this sport. That when you're on offense, you hit the ball to score runs. Yes, walks help, and that's good. But they can't. You need four walks to get around the bases to get one run guy, one run in, right? But hits can help along the way. To be the second worst team in baseball and expect to be considered a, a it, that's why this is smoke and mirrors. I mean. It, this just goes to just this just goes to show just how good the starting pitching has been. Oh, absolutely! Just how good, just how good it's been. Your offense is that ineffective at hitting the ball. And, and to be <laughs> fair, I mean, this was a team that won sixty six games a year ago, right? And and I think that you know we've said it a lot of times on the show that we've been pretty optimistic about what this team is going to be this season. We felt that they would win somewhere between eighty three, eighty six games, whatever. I mean. You know, this is an imperfect team, though, and it's a lot to expect them to to improve the starting pitching to the uh, extent that they have, to improve the bullpen to the extent that it needed to be considered a contending bullpen, uh, and then also improve the lineup as well. And so maybe they looked at this and said, this is the, the best way to maximize the limited talent that we're going to have in our lineup this season. This is the best way that we're going to be able to do it. And and you can't argue with the fact that they're a game out of first place in the middle of August. You know, so I don't I don't want to kill this team for its offensive, you know, limitations because it's still a work in progress. I mean the Phillies were never billed as some offensive powerhouse or an elite an elite talented team. You know, but at the same time if we're to believe that they are contenders at this point, and we are to believe that they can make a, a run here in the NL East and, and through the National League playoffs, then these are the realities that we have to point out, right? So, like, it's not that we're saying that the Phillies are a terrible organization and that this is stupid and that it'll never work. I mean, they go out and they sign a Machado and Harper in the offseason or they, they go out and add two or three pieces to this lineup, then this doesn't matter. Or it may not matter, you know? But if, if we're going to frame this as this team's a contender, then I'm sorry if this sounds like we're bitching or if we're being overly critical, but this is something that needs to be talked about. And it's not being talked about because all you're hearing about is, well, the starting pitching's been pretty good and they draw a lot of walks and they, they grind opposing starting pitchers and that's what this Phillies team is. And they're, damn it, they're, they're the underdogs and they're going to make the playoffs. Well, it's, it's not that easy. And so while that's a cute narrative, it's also overlooking a lot of this team's flaws. And, and so that's why we're pointing this out. So they, they, strike, they have struck out 25, in 25% of their plate appearances this year as a team. 4,475 plate appearances, 1,119 strikeouts. One out of every four batters is striking out. Oof. They have nearly 200 more strikeouts than hits. That is, it, it's a bad approach. Yeah, it's, it's hard a to believe. bad 
approach as a team. And I know strikeouts are up all over baseball, and every team is striking out a lot, okay? And I get that. Yeah, and like the Brewers, who have a top-five offense, or, you know, what's perceived to be a top-five offense, have have struck out 24% of the time. But the Phillies are third... Third highest K rate in all of baseball as a team, so that, that's yeah. that's definitely worth mentioning. I mean, you're you're certainly onto something there. Yeah. So that's what, so I think that this is more, and you know, and when you hear, and, and, you know, it was um, uh, Jason Worth when they were in when he was in town this uh, last weekend for the for the reunion. Um, he went on to Howard Eskin's podcast, and and he had some negative things to say about uh, about you know shifts and strategies and stuff and of course players are players are always going to be more overly critical than anyone and, and you know and I, I loved hearing it I mean of course you know me I think that I think that the game has changed too much too quick um, but but so you know part of me was like yeah go go Jason tell tell everybody what it is but when you hear him say things like they're telling us just hit the ball hit home runs just hit it over their heads it, when you look at Cesar Hernandez, has a career high in home runs, but he's da- but his hits are down. Odubel Herrera has a career high in home runs, but he's nowhere close to the amount of doubles he was hitting. He's hitting two sixty nine. He's not, not the same player he was. When you look at these guys who are not home run hitters, and they're suddenly putting up better, but not I mean not overwhelming, but better home run numbers than they've ever put up, but yet it's affecting how they're hitting in general. I think that's a negative, and it's certainly something that's coming from within the organization. When you hear a player say, that's what they're telling us. They got these guys come down from their computers and say, this is what our, we've crunched the numbers, and it shows us that you should be swinging for home runs. That's the best chance of way to win baseball against these shifts and everything else, blah, 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 blah. So nobody's trying to get hits anymore. And, and so the Phillies, who are the team we watch every day, as opposed to anyone else, and I'm sure that there's other teams that are in this same grouping, but we watch the Phillies, and we're seeing the failure of the offense there's no other way to, to break it down but to say, well, why are these guys who are historically better than what they've been? You know, you want to throw Carlos Santana into this mix too? Throw Carlos Santana into this mix. Why are these guys who are historically better suddenly not good and yet they're putting up better, you know, they're still putting up good on base numbers and better home run numbers than usual, but they're really not effective? That's a, to me, that's a flaw with what you're telling them to, how you're telling them to approach their at bats, and and I can't yeah, and, blame anybody I mean, else but the organization. There, the name of the game is is generating runs, and the Phillies have the 20, 20th most runs scored this season, and they're ahead of teams in the National League, such as let's see here, the the Giants, who I believe entered today a game under five hundred, uh, the Padres, who are last in the NL West, the New York Mets. I think we all know about what kind of team they are this season, and then the Florida Marlins, who are absolutely dreadful. And, uh, and let me so, say one. Let me say one thing about I mean, that. that's where they're at in terms of run production. Okay, and let me compare one. One thing I want to say with those four teams that are behind them. Okay, you said it was Giants, Padres, Mets, Marlins. All four teams also play half of their games in ballparks that immensely favor pitchers. Okay, and all four of those parks are pitchers' parks, and and you know you you historically you can go look at the. Pythagorean equations and all you want, and you'll find that those four stadiums have always favored pitchers. The Phillies play half their games in a home run ballpark, in a ballpark that completely favors hitters. And they're still at the bottom. So they're they're not only are they fourth from the bottom in runs, but they're fourth from the bottom in runs playing 81 games in a hitter's ballpark. That's that's even more damning. And maybe that's why they're good at home and, and bad on the road. Maybe that's why they're, what are they, 20 games over 500 at home and, and 
you know, whatever on the on the road. I mean, maybe that's the reason. Yeah, they're they're designed to be a team that can be successful at home. Walk and then we'll hit home runs because it's an easy park to hit home runs in. But when we get out on the road and get into these places where it's not that easy to hit the home runs, and now all of a sudden we're striking out and flying out and you know getting behind in the in the count and getting behind on the scoreboard and not playing smart you know fundamental baseball, that's that's a thing too. And again, I I bring this back. And I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna die on this hill tonight, Bob. This is this is I am I, I really I think I have to. This is the philosophy that they've. I I don't I mean yeah you could blame the players to a point, but I think ultimately this comes down to we're constructing this team to play this way, and damn it, we think it's going to work. And here we are, 117 games into the season, and it's worked some. But is it? It's not going to be enough to carry you through. It's just not. You need. They're going to need their pitchers to be otherworldly for the next six weeks. Oh, That's they're going to need their pitchers to, to be otherworldly uh, this week against the Red Sox. Red Sox have scored eighty-seven runs in eleven games this month. The Phillies have scored thirty-eight runs in ten games this month. So uh, good luck tomorrow night, Nick Pavetta. Um, <laughs> I got a little NL East live update for you. It's eleven forty-six at night on Monday as we record this and. Uh, before the show started, we were talking about how the uh, the Nationals, who had an absolutely brutal uh, walk-off grand slam loss to the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley on Sunday night, were, uh, were, were in a lot of trouble. And they came back tonight, and they were actually winning late um, against the St. Louis Cardinals in St. Louis. They were winning 4-2, and uh, Matt Carpenter hit a go-ahead home run in that game uh, to, to put the, the Cardinals in front late, and it looked like they were going to have another back-breaking loss, but... The Nationals actually scored two runs in the ninth inning uh, to tie this game at six, except in the bottom of the ninth, uh, Paul DeJong hit a walk-off home run to sink the Nationals yet again <laughs> for the second straight night. And I had feared the Washington Nationals and how they were poised to pass the Phillies. And, and certainly the Phillies have done their part to let that happen uh, over the last week. But this team is so screwed, and it uh, it makes me really happy. Uh, so I just wanted to briefly interject with that. So uh, it was it was Ryan Madsen who blew the game Sunday night. Yeah, and uh, hit was, a couple uh, guys. He gave up. Was it was it a an error? An error uh, they called it an hit, infield hit. Uh, they, hit they called batsman. infield hit on. Well, they, I thought they originally called it a hit on the play, yeah. but Defoe should have had yeah. the should have had him out at first. Um, Two hit batters and then gives up the grand slam. So he gives he blows the game Sunday. Yeah, so Sammy Coda Glover tonight. Coda Glover. Same, well, Sammy Solis the first time. It was Sammy yeah. Solis the first time. His fourth blown save of the year. Uh, then uh, Greg Holland got in two thirds of an inning, uh, who they just picked up off the scrap heap. And then Coda Glover gives up the walk off. Uh, and, and a lot that bullpen so it could always is be a worse. Disaster. It could it's be a, worse. Is yeah. a disaster. Yeah. As a matter Especially of fact, you I, thought that team was going to have. You know, I think everyone thought that that team was going to just walk into yep. a, a National League East title yet again, and uh, it I, just is not working. I've been critical that. of the Phillies bullpen this year for for much of the season. I would take the Phillies bullpen over the Nationals bullpen in a heartbeat. Speaking, and they got Herrera and Doolittle. I know Doolittle's hurt, but they got Herrera, Doolittle. Madsen's been decent, other than the Grand Slam. You know, they got co- you know kids like you know Coda Glover. I, I would still take the Phillies bullpen over that national. I heard tell you about Sean Doolittle. Like I, I actually I hate Sean Doolittle. Um, he's just like <laughs> one of these guys that's better at life than everybody else. Uh, he went to Shawnee High School, which is a which is a very affluent high school in South Jersey, uh, in the Medford area. 
And uh, I used to play against him in American Legion and in the high school level. We were in the same conference. And I think I probably faced Sean Doolittle like probably 10 to 15 times in my life. And uh, he was an awesome hitter. He actually went to UVA as a first baseman and was like all ACC freshman as a hitter. Uh, but I never even made contact in like 10 at-bats off of Sean Doolittle. Like I hated the guy. He was so good. <laughs> Um, and he was better than me in every facet of life. So that's my thing about Sean Doolittle. So I'm glad that his baseball team sucks this year. Um, talking about the Phillies bullpen or talking about the Nationals bullpen, I, I want to briefly get into this. Um, because the offense has been so bad, I think that we've sort of overlooked the fact that the Phillies bullpen can't get out left-handed hitters, um, or they certainly can't do it with their left-handed relievers. Uh, and this has become a little bit of an issue lately, and I'm very concerned about this moving forward, especially when you look at guys like Soto and Harper in the division uh, when they have to play the Nationals a handful of times down the stretch, and then guys like Marcakis and Freeman for the Braves who have been out of their minds this season. Um, Austin Davis really got hot. Uh, at the end of July, uh, he was he was a revelation for this team. But all of a sudden, he's gone ice cold. He's allowed runs in five of his last seven appearances, and, and over that stretch, he has a 9.53 ERA, a 1.76 WHIP. He's only striking out 4.8 hitters per nine innings. Opponents are hitting 3.33 against him with a 1.082 OPS. And, and I think more concerning is that lefties are hitting 293 against him this season, and he's allowed uh, six of the last 11 left-handed hitters he's faced to reach base. So Austin Davis, I don't think, is a, a viable left-handed guy late in the game when the Phillies really need to nail it down. Um, and, that, and I know that he was never supposed to be that. And so anything that you get out of Austin Davis is kind of a plus. And he has been a big part of their success, but it, it kind of looks like he's about to turn into a pumpkin here. That brings us to your boy, Aaron Loop, um, <laughs> who has faced seven batters as a Philly since he was acquired back at the uh, trade deadline. And he appears for them about once every five days. Over his three appearances, he's pitched one total inning. Three of the seven hitters that he's faced have reached base and two of them have scored. I feel like Gabe Kapler knows that Aaron Loop stinks. Um, your thoughts on that before I continue? I, I agree. <laughs> I think I think that was a – we talked about it when it happened. Like, that was a terrible move. It was like, was I, I guess we could get him. <laughs> he throws the ball sort of weird, and he's a lefty, so maybe this will work. And then, and then he got here, and they were like, what the, like, what the hell is this? You know? <laughs> I, I really feel like that that's, that kind of explains why you don't see a lot of Aaron Loop. Um and then that means then, uh, if he's ineffective and Davis is struggling, that Adam Morgan is, is probably the guy that you have the most confidence in at the moment to get out a left-handed hitter late in the game. Uh, lefties are hitting 233 against him this season, and opponents are hitting only 191 against him in August. So he has been better lately. Um, but how do you feel about Adam Morgan on the mound in, in tie games or one-run games in the seventh, eighth inning of a pennant race against the Braves, when Freddie Freeman comes to the plate, you, you feel good about that? I'm, I'm going. I'm going. Uh, I'm going to channel my inner Kurt Schilling. I'm going to sit there and cover my eyes. Man. Yeah, just bury put your the head towel in the over towel. my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's what it is. I mean, no, they don't have a lefty that's reliable at all. And, at all. And because this offense is so bad, it dominates the conversation. It's dominated the conversation on this show. But if this if this offense was, was quasi-functional right now and, and was competent, I think that this would be the thing that we were really talking about. And so I, I expect this to be an issue moving forward. And I think that it really may be 
one of the things at, at the end of the day that prevents this team from winning this division. You know, I know the Braves are hot right now. They, they won two out of three against the Brewers, and they're beating up on a bad Marlins team like the Phillies did uh, a week ago right now. So the Braves look red hot. The Phillies look dead in the water. And I know that can change very quickly. But I, I'm just starting to look at these two teams and how they match up down the stretch, and, and I have serious concerns about how this thing's going to play out. And it's a shame because this, this team, though it is imperfect, uh, clearly imperfect, it's had opportunities to separate themselves, and they just they have not done it. Um, no. So that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. Uh, before no, before we get bad. into the, the one last thing, uh, we got to talk a little bit about the Zach Eflin deal. And uh, oh, I'm man, trying like hell. I'm keeping tabs on our time here. We're at 55 minutes. I said to myself, 110 is the goal tonight, an hour and 10 minutes. Uh, I go. think we can get there. I, I think we can get there. So let's talk about Zach Eflin. He was sent to the minors uh, on Saturday when Justin Bohr – um, officially join the team. Um, what are your immediate reactions to this? I had a major issue with this. I really did. And, and, it's, and you know, if you really look at it, if we're taking, you know, if, if everybody's a robot, right, what the Phillies did here makes perfect sense. You know, they are gerrymandering the system to the point where they are not going to skip Zach Eflin's starts. He's going to be recalled on Thursday as the 26th player, which you're allowed to have an extra player when you play a doubleheader. So he's going to start one of the two games in the doubleheader. Then he'll go back down right after the game. He'll finish his 10-day stint um, in the minors, and then he'll get recalled again and pitch his next start. So he's not going to miss. It's not like the Phillies are are doing anything that's going to you know cost them. They're not putting someone else in lieu of Zach Eflin. The, the problem is, is that, and this is just this goes to show. I mean, this is to me ties into everything that we that I've been saying uh, uh, about the way that they operate as an organization. This is this goes to show that it's it's everything is being dictated by people who don't understand the human element of baseball. And Zach Eflin is going to be pretty pissed because he's losing thirty grand now. He's being taken off of a team, and granted, it's only for ten days. But he's being taken off of a team. That's in a playoff race, and he's been a crucial part of of getting them to the point where they're at. Okay, having the, the great they're, year. They're nowhere having. near this thing if if he doesn't have that run that he did at the end of June and into the yeah. beginning of July. There's no yeah. shot. I mean, for right. six, seven, eight starts, he was he was probably their best starting pitcher, uh, even including Aaron Nola over that particular stretch. Yeah, and so so yeah, you have that um, element of it. So take that aside. Now he's losing. You know, you're not. You say, "Oh, he's losing ten days of service time." All right, that's not a huge deal. I mean, I, you know, I, he'll he'll get over that one. But he's losing thirty grand, thirty thousand dollars. He's 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 taking a hit, thirty thousand dollars, so that the Phillies can keep two players on their roster who are just glued to the bench and doing doing themselves no good. They're not developing at all, and that's Scott Kingery and and J.P. Crawford. At least one, if not both of them, should probably be down in the minors getting playing time, okay? Um, and they're not. And the Crawford one kind of befuddles me a little bit, but the Kingery one really gets me because this is the Phillies being unwilling to sit there and take a public shaming because, oh my God, you gave this kid this big contract and now he hasn't been good and now you're sending him back to the minor leagues. Don't you look stupid? They don't want that. They don't want to deal with that. 
And that's yeah, like, the are, are they afraid that it's going to sink his confidence? I mean, can it can it get any lower at this right. point? I mean, right. the guy the guy has a two sixty six on base percentage and three hundred and sixty eight at bats this year. He, he actually, I'm at the point where I, I've kind of gone from being high on Scott Kingery to being patient with Scott Kingery to to the point now where his existence on this roster offends me, and and I don't say that to be funny. I actually wonder at what point in a clubhouse these guys get together and they say, Scott's a cool dude. Like, we really like Scott. I'm sure he's a great guy, right? And I'm I'm sure that a lot of guys on the team are friends with him. But they have to understand, if you're Zach Eflin right now and you're sitting at at a Holiday Inn waiting to come back to play for the Phillies or to report to Lehigh or do whatever it is that he's going to do this week waiting to come back and rejoin the team, you have to look at each other and say, what the hell is going on here? Like, that, that's kind of messed right. up. I mean, Scott Kingery has no, no room on this team at this point. I'm sorry. No. Like, he may very well turn into a good baseball player. He is a waste of a roster spot right now. He just is. Yeah, and it's not, only, it's not just that, right? So I think that the Phillies are looking at this and saying, okay, we're going to do this, and maybe in the next 10 days somebody will get hurt. And then we don't have to worry about it. You know, let's wait and see what happens 10 days from now. I would not be surprised. I totally if agree with after you. The, I think you're dead right. If after the 10 days and the, no, everybody's still healthy, they do it again. I would not be surprised if they do it again. And they just trying, they're trying to get by the time to keep Kingery and Crawford on the roster until September 1st. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, now we can expand the rosters to 40 players. Right. Yeah, I mean, I really want to send a guy down for five do days to, to, just to bring him back up. I mean, I can understand how that would be humiliating for the, for that particular player. But when you're talking about actually costing guys money, a guy who, by the way, if they do make the playoffs, probably starts game three for you in in a playoff yeah. series. I mean, it's either him or Velasquez, and and at this point, I think you would probably go with Eflin. I, I just I agree. It it rubs me the wrong way, and I just wonder how that's being received in the clubhouse and. You know, nobody's really said anything about it, and, and nor would you expect them to. I mean, A, because they're they're a young team, and so I don't think anybody's going to really step to the mic and talk about this. And, and B, because they're, a, you know, it's none of their business. It's not really their concern. But it, I just think that this this has a potential a really bad impact moving forward. And not only that, I wonder what it does to Zach Eflin, because you know he's miffed. And even oh, yeah. if he doesn't say anything, this is a guy that's been in a pretty good groove this season. And I just I wonder if this is going to to mess with him, mess with his preparation, mess with his head, his psych, psychology. You know, moving forward, how is he going to handle this? And and I think that that's another thing to keep an eye on. It. This was a bad move. Um, yeah. And, and I know they they feel like they might have some egg on their face by sending him down, or they don't want to jerk around Scott Kingery, but. Guy's done nothing to warrant his existence on this team at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's a it's a bad look for the Phillies, and it's even worse when you have the Eflin's agent coming out and saying something about it. And I mean, you that's nailed how you, it too. And you yeah. nailed it. You said it. Yeah. Kingery and Crawford, they are not developing right now. If these guys are supposed to be integral parts of this team moving forward in 2019, 2020, and beyond, how are these guys getting better right now? And I'm not suggesting that they should be playing at the major league level because they absolutely should not be playing at the major league level. But it, it kind of it really puts them in a tough spot. If they were running away with this and had a five or six game lead in the division right now, you'd say, all right, well, no big deal. But that's not the case. So you have these guys who, whose growth has been completely stunted this season. They have, they have not taken any steps forward. And, you know, it just that's another aspect of this thing that, that needs to kind of be thought about. 
and especially when you look at what the what the kids in uh, Atlanta are doing right now, like Ronald Acuna <laughs> and Ozzy Albies. You see those guys, they're not hitting, uh, you know, they don't have a 586 OPS this season. That's for damn sure. So yeah. uh, I, I don't know. It's it's a bad look, and it's just uh, one of those things that, that I think the Phillies have actually been fortunate in a way that their play on the field has been so bad that it's kind of covered up what has been a pretty messed up situation in my opinion. Yep, absolutely. Which brings us to what? One last thing, correct? One last thing, Bob. So, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, the Chicago Cubs, specifically their manager, Joe Madden, um, had a very negative reaction to something that Alex Rodriguez said on Sunday Night Baseball two weeks ago. So, two weeks ago, uh, A-Rod was on TV and he was saying that he had talked to some people in the Cubs organization and they were disappointed with you, Darvish, who's working his way back from an elbow injury. Um, they think he's kind of slow playing it, um, almost as if, uh, you know, he's, he's not letting the Cubs doctors dictate it. He's got his own personal doctors um, and that uh, he's really not trying to get back, you know, to help the Cubs at this point. He's basically collecting a paycheck, uh, the big paycheck, as a matter of fact, um, and uh, that, the, that the clubhouse is, is, uh, is not too happy with it. Well, Joe Madden is not happy with Alex Rodriguez that he says this and uh, decides yes, on Sunday with the Sunday Night Baseball being at Wrigley to have a one-on-one with A-Rod in his office. So you got just, just got to picture this because, you know, Madden's got a bit of an attitude, right? And you know A Rod's A Rod's a you know he's not going to take step back from from anybody either, and <laughs> the first report was was that they had a screaming match in that clubhouse. Now I've been present for screaming matches between coaches and and the media before. Um, one of my all time favorites in baseball that I was present for was Charlie Manuel and Howard Eskin. Um, How you there that just, night, huh? Oh, 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 oh <laughs> that was an all timer, man. That was such a good one. Uh, and and yeah, and and it carried on. Like it wasn't just what you heard in the in the press conference. It carried on in Charlie's office afterwards. So that's what that's what was great about it. Uh, so that so you know that this was not a a quiet meeting. And Madden comes out and goes, Alex and I had a really nice discussion. <laughs> I felt good about it. Hopefully, it he felt equally the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they both they both refuted that it was uh, that it was a negative um, a negative meeting. And then Madden, the other thing that and this is what I love about Joe Madden. When you speak badly about my group, it brings out the Hazelton in me. <laughs> I responded very open and candid. My job is to protect my brood. It's no different than being a parent. <laughs> So anyway, uh, but A Rod stuck by his source. He said, "Look, I'm not changing my what I said." He said, "My job is to say it fairly and objectively." And I have 25 years in this game. We don't have to agree on everything, but I do have a lot of respect for Joe and the Cubs organization, and that hasn't changed. Joe and I plan to have drinks together. That's planned. That's in the books. <laughs> so I just thought it was a fun thing to see that you know. Guess what? This happens elsewhere. This isn't just a Philadelphia thing, but also that clubhouses are not as, you know, people aren't getting along in clubhouses like everyone wants you to believe. Teams will feed you 
a line. They're going to tell you everything's hunky-dory. It's it, They're playing kumbaya in the clubhouse. And it just doesn't happen and in, in any sport. And, and it's no different. I will tell you – this is what I say to fans all the time um, as someone who's been in these clubhouses and in, in locker rooms. It's no different than any other job, than your job that you have, your regular job or my job. There's always going to be people that you work with who you really like. And there's always going to be people that you work with that you don't like at all. But yet you have to work with them and you have to, you know, have the same goal. And so therefore, you know, you're not going to disparage each other publicly because it makes the company look bad. So they're not going to people aren't going to just sit there and publicly rip each other. Okay, uh, to especially to the media. But that doesn't mean they're not going to talk about it. That doesn't mean that over at the water cooler there's not a little conversation happening. People don't like each other in the workplace. It's a thing. It's okay. Well, and so what, when what a report gets, gets out, like, what's a big deal? You're the Cubs, right? Like, guess what, man? You, you signed you Darvish to a six-year contract worth $126 million. He's 31 years old. Like, it's going. That's going to happen. When you sign a guy that, at that age to that type of contract, like – be prepared for injuries. Be prepared for him to maybe come back a little bit more slowly than you would like him to be. It's just, I think it's like a bizarre thing for them to have leaked in the first place. But I love that. It's one of my favorite things in sports when someone in the locker room trashes somebody else in the locker room, whether it be a coach or a manager or, or a player, and then they come out and they act all pissed off that it, it got out. Like, oh, th- yeah. then, then don't say anything. And, and just why not just own it? Be like, yeah, you know, like... It, Listen, we're not going to get into that. We're not going to talk about it. But to, like, to get to the point where you feel like you need to stand up and be so over-the-top defensive and actually to the point where you're going on the offensive against a guy like Alex Rodriguez in the report, and you know that Alex Rodriguez is telling the truth, which is really saying something because he's a liar and has historically right. been a liar, but he has no reason to lie here. And, and I totally believe Rodriguez and what he had said on air initially. Um, it's just kind of like one of those things. And, and it shows you to the extent that these teams are so controlling – and so desperately want to control the messages that are being conveyed from their clubhouse. And this is a, a total, it's a perfect example of that. And real, real quick, because I know we have like a minute and a half before we, we hit your deadline. Um, <laughs> I, like I, and this is not even a baseball story, but it, it, it goes right to what you're talking about. Uh, we were in Montreal once for, Flyer, for the Flyers game. And having dinner in the, in the press room, uh, it was me and two other writers and Bob Clark. He was the general manager of the Flyers at the time. And he sat there and criticized his own players, like to no end. Like just sat down with the three of us and just went off on his players. So we go and write a story. <laughs> not, not we we're not sitting there saying that Bob Clark said this, but we write that these players, team sources tell us that these players have been terrible. Blah blah blah. And they need to write the ship. Whatever. Blah, blah blah. So it all gets out publicly. The next day, Clark holds a press conference, defends every one of them to the hilt. <laughs> And we're all, the three of us are sitting there like, are you kidding me? Like, he's going to come out and do this now? Like, come on. It's yeah, the it's same goddamn guy. media trying to rip apart our team. You know, they don't want to see us succeed, so now we got to do it in spite of them. That's so it, ridiculous. Yeah. It happens everywhere. Yeah. The teams want to control the narrative, but the stuff that gets out 99% of the time, or maybe 95% of the time, is going to be accurate or at least close to accurate. Uh, so that's why I love it. I, I love it. I, I believe A-Rod, and I believe that there's people in that club's Cubs clubhouse who are very unhappy with you, Darvish, at this point. I believe that 100%.
Yeah. Hey, we good. did it. An hour yeah. ten, just a tick over. So uh, I don't yeah, know. Let's, let's get out of here. Let's wrap it up. I can go to bed wrap before one a.m. tonight. Let's do it. Yeah. Hey, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ant San Philly. Ant. Uh, yes, I'm at Ant San Philly. Bob's at at BW Crossing Broad. Uh, also check out the rest of the shows on the Crossing Broad Podcasting Network. That's uh, Crossing Broadcast. Uh, Snow the goalie. It's always soccer in Philadelphia and crossing broad FC. Uh, so for Bob Wankel, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo saying, hey, make sure you, you keep your fingers crossed with the Phillies this week because it could get even uglier on this podcast next week. Thanks for listening to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast.